You're listening to a sermon series by Grace City Church, a church plant in Green Square in Sydney. For more information about us, visit gracecity.com.au. My name is Matt. It is good to be here with you. We'll jump into that passage in just a moment. Two things to let you know about first. Uh, A couple of years ago, we invited members of Grace City to put in uh, applications uh, for people or groups they thought would be uh, good mission partners for us at at Grace City to partner with. And so from that, all those applications, uh, the mission committee assessed them. And uh, we've now got six mission partners, which we as a church support. And as you walked in, you would have seen, we've got photos of them all and little bios of all of them. If you haven't seen those afterwards, why don't you go and check them out? We've been meeting some of them over the last few weeks as well. Uh, But for next year, uh, we're going to open up applications again. Now, some of the mission partners we have, we've committed to supporting for three, four, five years even. Uh, But as church grows and we have more capacity, uh, we have an opportunity to bring on some more mission partners, which I think is a, a really exciting thing that we can do. And so if you know of anyone or people or a group that you think as a church we should partner with, well, this week there's an email going to go out in there around the city and there'll be information in there and an application form for you to fill out and our mission committee will consider those and see who else we can partner with next year. And so why don't you take uh, opportunity with that. Second thing is during the week we had a prayer night. It was a great night, wasn't it, for those who came along. We had heaps of people in this room praying and pleading to God for our mission partners, for our world. Uh, and we made a prayer booklet to go with that. And if you weren't here or couldn't make it on Wednesday night, why don't you grab one of these? They're just up the back there on the, the table on your way out and there's some at the info desk at the front as well. Grab one of these, commit to praying for our mission partners and for mission around the world. Uh, this is a great way to do that. So grab one of those. But let me pray uh, and then let's jump into Revelation 7. Father, we, we ask that this great vision that you give us of the end of the age in Revelation 7 would become our vision of life, that we would see your vision and then we would live that out in our own lives as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is... Uh, our last week in this global mission series that we've been doing. For the last three weeks, we've been thinking about global mission. What is God doing in this world? And I wonder for you, what is it that goes through your mind during a series like this? As you hear from our mission partners, as you hear from uh, the people who have been preaching, what is it that goes through your mind? Is it something like, well, you know, this, it's all pretty interesting hearing about world mission and hearing from some of our mission partners, but yeah, that's not for me. Or maybe you've compartmentalized missionaries and yourself as a regular Christian into two separate categories. You know, you've got the the missionaries who leave Australia and go overseas and give up everything to go and tell people about Jesus. And then there's us, the the regular Christians. Now, maybe you don't actually think that, but subconsciously, that's sort of how you see things. That there's the special Christians, the missionaries who who go off and, and do mission, and then there's the rest of us who just stay here. Now, I think it's easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? To think that there's two categories going on here. But what we've been trying to do in this series over the last few weeks is is seek to to raise our eyes and to, to open our hearts to what it is that God is on about in this world 
And then for all of us, every one of us who is a follower of Christ, to join him, to join God in his mission in the world. After all, that's what it means to be a disciple, isn't it? To, to follow after him, to see what he's doing, and then to join him in that task. We don't want to be people who waste our lives on things that do not matter into eternity. We want to give our lives, give of ourselves to the things that will last, that God is on about. And so the question is, well, what is God doing? What are his great purposes that he is seeking to achieve in our world? Because that's what we should want to give our lives to. And so what I want us to do is to, to go to that passage that was just read out before from him in, in Revelation chapter 7, because what we see there is this great vision of the end of the age. It's a, it's a vision of heaven at the end of time. And I want us to, to use that vision of heaven and see God's great purposes and then work backwards to see, well, what is God doing in the world now to bring about those purposes, to bring about that end? And then therefore see what is it that we should give ourselves to in this life. And so from this great vision of the end of history, I want us to see three great convictions that come out of this passage about mission and what it looks like for us to join God in that mission. So three convictions. Let's go through them. First one's longer than the other ones. Point one always seems to be the longest one, doesn't it? Well, it's the longest one again today, so hold in there. It's a good one. Okay, conviction number one. It'll come up on the screen. It says, Heaven will be filled with people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Now, I said have your Bible open there. If you've got it, open to Revelation 7. The first thing that the Apostle John, he was one of Jesus' disciples, becomes the Apostle. He's now exiled on the island of Patmos. Don't think beautiful tropical island. Think jail. He's, he's in jail on this destitute island, and he gets this vision from God. And verse 9, here's how it starts. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Now, if, if you could see this vision, this would be the first thing you would see. You, you couldn't miss it. It's like when you go into a packed stadium, you know, when you, you enter in and then you walk through the tunnel and you come out and you see the whole ground and, you, and the first thing you notice is that all the people. But what, what the Apostle John sees here is so much larger than any crowd that anyone has ever witnessed before. It's a great multitude. It says it's so large that no one can count how many people are there. And did you notice who that great multitude is made up of? It says, After this I looked before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, it's not just people from every nation, but from all of those different nations, every tribe and people that make up that nation, and every language that all the tribes and the peoples in that nation speak. Every single one of them. This is this vision of the end of history with all of God's people gathered around the throne of God and his son, the Lamb. From every tribe, from every nation, from every people, from every language. Isn't that just an incredible picture of diversity coming together? 
like we've never seen before. But it's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that people from, uh, are gathered from all of history here at the end in heaven. It's always been God's plan to see this happen. It's always been his plan to see salvation come to the nations. Now, Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It talks about the end times. If you go back to the start of the Bible, to the first book, to uh, Genesis, you start to see God putting this plan into effect. Now, in Genesis 12, right at the start, uh, God chooses a guy named Abram. He becomes Abraham. Now, there's nothing about Abraham that was particularly special. In fact, later on in, in the Bible, we're told that God chose him not because he was the greatest of the nations, but he was the, the least. But God chooses him and makes this promise to him. You see it in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. It says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Now, I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now God says, I'm, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. But did you see the purpose of why he's going to do that? It wasn't just so one nation would be blessed. It was that all people on earth, all peoples, would be blessed through this nation. God blessed them so that it could be a blessing to others. Now, in the very next chapter, in Genesis 13, you start to see just how big this plan of blessing and salvation is going to be. In Genesis 13, 6, God says, I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Or again, a couple of chapters over in Genesis 15, another analogy, um, uh, God took uh, Abraham outside and said, look up at the stars and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Do you see right at the start in Genesis, as God is starting to bring this plan, you, you, you see at the end the, the completion of this. People from every nation and tribe, this great multitude that no one can count in heaven. But it wasn't just for Abraham and his descendants, for the Jewish nation. Genesis 17 says, Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Or again in chapter 22, 17 to 18, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashores. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. But this promise isn't just to Abraham. Abraham has a son. His name is Isaac, and God gives this same promise to Isaac. So Genesis 26, verse 4, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I'll give them all these lands, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Then Isaac has a son. His name is Jacob. And then in Genesis 28, you see the same thing. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Do you think God's trying to make a point? Keep saying the same thing over and over again. Right here in the beginning, at the start, God is revealing his promises to Abraham of what his great purposes in the world are going to be. The great fulfillment that's going to come that we've seen in Revelation 7 of a great multitude that no one can count from every nation under, on earth. People gathered 
around God in heaven. But it's not even just Genesis that you see this plan start to come together. It's all through the Bible. It's all through the Old Testament. Let me give you just a few examples. But if you want to chase this up, if you search for the word nations in your Bible, you see it constantly throughout the Old Testament, God's heart for the nations, not just the Jewish people. So Isaiah 49 verse 6 said, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that's the same word, nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Or again in Psalm 67, 1 and 2, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Why? Or so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. Or think about the, the book of Jonah. You know the book of Jonah in the Old Testament with Jonah and the whale or the fish or whatever it is. The, the whole point of the book of Jonah is God's heart for the nations, that God sends his prophet from Israel to the nations with a message for call them to repent. But the prophet doesn't want to go because he knows that if he goes and they repent, God will actually forgive them. God's heart is for the nations. But it's not even just the Old Testament. It's all through the Bible. Jesus himself, after he had risen, conquering sin and death, goes to his disciples and in Luke 24 says this. says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Or the most famous verse on mission, you should know this one, Matthew 28, 18. The Great Commission, after again, as after Jesus risen from the dead, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Do you see God's plan for the nations? His heart for the nations, for all peoples. And by the time you get to Revelation, the vision we get is of the fulfillment of all of this coming true. Right from the very beginning to the end, God's plan to bring the nations to himself is fulfilled. And so what that means is that until that future comes, where all of God's people are gathered around him in heaven, well, that plan is still at work. God is still working in this world to bring the nations to himself. This is God's great purpose in the world, to bless people so that they can be a blessing to others. If you're a Christian here, it's, it's because God has blessed other people and saved them and they have gone out to other parts of the world to share the gospel message. The problem was, though, that what you see all through the Old Testament is that God's people didn't do what he said. Remember, they were meant to receive the blessing so they could be a blessing. Receive salvation so they could share that with others. They were more than happy to receive the blessing. Often they would expect it. But this is where the blessing terminated, on themselves. Forgetting that the blessing God had given them was not meant to be just for themselves, but to then bless others, to bless the nations. 
so that all the other nations could become part of God's family as well. But my question to us is, are we any different? Are we any different? We've received the blessing of God. If you're a follower of Christ, you've received his grace and mercy in the salvation that has been won for you in Christ Jesus. But often instead of God's blessing flowing through us out to others, sharing that message, sharing that salvation, often we think that the end goal of God's blessing in our lives is on us. As if we are the center of God's blessing. As if he is a genie that we can rub the right way and he's going to bless us and give us what we want. But that's not what God's purpose in blessing us is. It's meant to flow through us to others. It's not meant to terminate on us. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. So does your vision of this life, of what your life is about, line up with eternity, with God's vision? Does your life reflect the great purposes that God has in the world to bless us so that we could be a blessing? Or does the blessing terminate on yourself? Because this isn't just for the missionaries. This is the call for all followers of Christ. Now, right now in the world, there are 195 nations. And from those 195 nations, uh, there is over 16,000 different people groups, people that have their own culture uh, and traditions and often their own language. People like the Chom of Cambodia, who our mission partners who we met last week, the Blair family, went over to Cambodia five years ago to seek to reach out to them with the gospel. People like the Mon of Myanmar, who Dave and Sansan, our missionaries in uh, Myanmar, are seeking to share the hope and the, the life-giving message of the gospel with. And in heaven... In this great vision from Revelation chapter 7, it said there'll be people from every single one of these people groups, from every nation and people and tribe and language. But the, the problem is there's still so many of these people groups that are unreached. Ed, who spoke in the first week, he shared with us that of that 16,000 or more people groups there are in the world, there's still around 7,000 of them who, who are unreached, meaning that they, there is no native or very few native Christians who live in those areas. There is no churches seeking to reach out with the gospel. Uh, they mostly have no access to the Bible or it's not even in their own language. And of those 7,000 people groups that have no access to the gospel, that makes up over two billion people in the world right now. Now, just stop and think about that for a moment. Two, over two billion people in the world right now who have no chance of hearing about Jesus, who cannot hear about him because there's no one there to share it, because they have no Bible in their own language. Over 2,000 languages still uh, are yet to be, the Bible has yet to be translated into that language or even parts of the Bible. So what is it going to look like in your life for God's blessing to flow through you out to others so that they also may receive God's blessing of salvation? 
What could that look like? Now, just start close to home. Just out the doors of this church, within a couple of kilometers of this church is the area Green Square. At the moment, there's over 32,000 people who live here. In the next 10 years, that will grow to about 50,000 people. Of those 32,000 people just in our area right now, 56% of them weren't born in Australia. We literally have the nations coming to us from all over the world, coming to us. Remember what Ed said in the first week about being a welcomer? Uh, so the invitation was to invite these people into our homes, into our lives, into our church, to, to share the gospel with them. Most people who have moved here from overseas have never been invited into an Australian's house. We should not be that kind of people. We should be inviting people into our house and sharing our hope of the gospel with them. But being a church in Green Square, this church is made up of over 50% of people who weren't born in Australia. Over 50% of the people, we just did a church life survey here, over 50% of people in our church were not born in Australia. Now, most people have come here seeking a better life, and I get that. It's a good place to live. But did you know that the, the most effective missionaries are the people who speak the language, the people who know the culture, the people who live in those places? And so... Maybe it is that God has brought you to Australia, whether that's to study, whether that's just to come here for a few years, or whether even you're seeking to stay here long term. Maybe God's brought you here not for that purpose, not to get a PR, but maybe to equip you to then go back to your own people, to share the gospel with them in your own language, with your own culture. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? And so, conviction number one that we see here in this vision of the future of heaven is that heaven will be filled with people from every nation and tribe and language. That's the vision we get of heaven at the end. And we see God's plan from the beginning for that to take place. God has blessed us with salvation so that we would be a blessing to others. So what's that going to look like in your life? Number two, the second one. Second great conviction that I think comes out of this passage in Revelation 7 is salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Now the first vision you get at the start is of great diversity of these people from every nation and tribe and language all gathered together. But then you know, the next thing you see is this great unity of all of these people, that this great multitude of people from all over the world and every people group from all time with all these different languages and cultures are all completely unified. Have a look at verse, uh, the second half of verse 9. It says, They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So they're all wearing the same thing. They're all doing the same thing. The white robes, we'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, the palm branches throughout the Bible is symbolic of victory and celebration but it's what they are saying that is, I think, the key to this. So verse 10 says, And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're all singing the same thing. Salvation belongs to our God. They're not all singing of their own salvation, that they've saved themselves. They're singing that God has saved them. 
this great multitude of diverse people from every people group have all had the exact same experience. They're united around their experience of salvation in God. That salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb. They've received the salvation of Jesus. Now, a bit later on in the vision, we, uh, we hear more about these white robes that, is, that everyone is wearing. So have a look at verse 13. It says, Then one of the elders asked me, These white robes, uh, these in white robes, who are they? Now, it's, it's a question of identity, isn't it? Who, who are all of these people, this great multitude? They're all wearing the same thing. Who are they? Well, the answer comes in the second half of verse 14. It says, Who are they? Well, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's a pretty weird thing to say, isn't it? I know a lot of you are uni students, so you probably don't wash your sheets very often, but <laughs> I, I, when I was at Bible college, I lived in the singles quarter and they gave up trying to get single men to wash their own sheets and they would come and wash our sheets for us. Uh, but it would be a pretty weird thing at the, the time you did wash your sheets that you put a bit of blood in the, the washing machine with it. How do you think that's going to work? Do you think that's going to make them white? Don't think so. Don't try that. It's, it's weird. It's, it's symbolic, okay? Don't, it's not saying wash your clothes in blood. It's symbolic. What's it symbolic of? Well, it's of purity and cleansing, of righteousness. But it's the, the thing that's made them pure and clean is not their own works or even their own blood, it's the blood of the Lamb. Now, who is the Lamb? Well, it's Jesus. We, we met him last week in Revelation chapter 5. So have a look at Revelation 5 verse 9. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. You were killed. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. See the same thing. The reason that every single one of this great multitude of people that is in heaven wearing these white robes is there is because each one of them has been purchased and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. There will be no one in heaven that has not been washed clean of their sins by Jesus. Heaven will only be filled with those people. In Acts 4, it says it this way. So salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. But did you notice the part we have to play in all this? Look at verse 14 again. It says, They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now you need to be careful here. To be clear, it is Jesus' death alone that can save us. But what you get here is a picture of faith, of our part in that, of receiving this cleansing, the dipping into the, the blood. All these people have washed their robes in the blood of Jesus. It's trusting in him, in his death, in our place for our salvation. That's the thing that cleanses them. And so this offer of salvation is open to all. It is open to all, but only those who trust in Christ will be saved. And so my question to, to you guys is, have you done that? Have you put your trust in Jesus? 
in his, his death in your place for your sin. Because the vision we're given of the end of heaven is that it's only those who are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb that will be there. And so Grace City, salvation belongs to our God. There is no salvation in any other name. And if that's the case, then we have the only message of hope, the only message of salvation. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been blessed with salvation so that you can share that with others. We need to tell people of what God has made possible, that God has made it possible for our sin to be dealt with, for us to be cleansed of our guilt and shame and be forgiven and brought back into his presence. Romans 10, I love what it says in verse 13. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's confidence in that. If you trust in Christ, you will be saved. But then he goes on and he says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Grace City, we have that good news. We know the end. Salvation belongs to our God and to, the th- uh, and to his son, the Lamb. And we need to open our mouths and speak. We need to open our wallets and give to those who are going to all the nations and all the peoples. We need to open our hearts to God's heart for the nations and be willing to go ourselves. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Grace City, imagine if in a few years' time, we invite some people up on stage and we interview them and they're about to leave and go to somewhere else in the world, to an unreached people group to share the message of Christ. And we as a church get to support them in that endeavor. Imagine if as they get up and we interview them, they say it was this series that started that great desire or that heart in them to want to go. How amazing would that be if someone from our church, someone, one of you, if that was you in a few years' time, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so second conviction that it comes out of this great vision that we get of the end in Revelation 7 is that salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. That's the, that's the first two. The, the third one I think is the the central conviction that we see in Revelation chapter 7. So have a look. Mission is not the goal. Worship is. Mission is not the goal, it's, it's worship. There's something more central to what God is doing, His purposes, than mission. Mission is not the goal, it's the means to get to the goal. It's what is happening in heaven which is the goal. And so have a look at Revelation 7 verse 11. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Now, the scene we're given here is of concentric circles. You've got the four living creatures and then around them you've got the, the 24 elders and then around them you've got the angels and then around them you've got this great multitude of people from every nation that no one can count. And what do all of them do? Well, they fall down on their faces before the throne and worship God, who is at the center. 
And this is what they all say. Verse 12. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, in the, in the Greek, it's actually the praise and the glory and the wisdom and the thanks and the honor and the power and the strength. It's, as in God is the par excellence of all of these things, it's, he is the one who is worthy of all of this worship forever and ever. John Piper, who's written an excellent book on world missions, and I commend it to you, he says this. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Heaven will not be about you. Heaven will be about God and his glory. He is at the center, not us. And so what kind of Christianity have you believed? Is your faith that you are at the center and God serves you and revolves around you? Or have you understood and believed true Christianity, biblical Christianity, where God is at the center and we exist to worship and to serve him? We exist for God. And we will spend eternity worshipping him for who he is. That he is better than anything and everyone else. The one thing that can satisfy us. The Westminster uh, Catechism, the the big confession of faith that was written in the 1600s, trying to summarize the Christian faith, it starts with this first question. It says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer it gives is the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that's the picture we get here at the end. Have a look in verse 15. It says, They, that is all those who have put their trust in Christ, are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. That's the glorification part, but there's the enjoyment part as well. It keeps going. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. We will be with God. He will be with us. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We will be with God in his presence, and we will worship him, we will serve him, and he will satisfy us with that presence. Heaven will be a place where we will worship God and enjoy him forever. This is the great end for which God is bringing the world. This is the great vision that we have of the end, and he is inviting us, if you are a follower of Christ, to join him in seeing others worship and enjoy him forever as well. Okay, let's finish up. So three great convictions I wanted to leave us with at the end of this series that should drive us in mission. 
for all of us, not just those who become missionaries. We're all missionaries in wherever, whatever place that we are that God has put us. So three great convictions. Heaven will be filled with people from every nation and people and tribe and language. Number two, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. There is no salvation in anyone else. And number three, mission is not the goal, worship is. We will spend eternity worshipping and being satisfied in his presence. Now, our great hope for this series has been that it will cause us all to lift our eyes beyond ourselves, beyond our own vision of life, and to grab a hold of God's vision of what God is doing in the world, his great purposes for which he is bringing the world, and that we would join him in his heart for the nations. So why don't you pray with me that God would do that in us. Father, we, we thank you that from the very beginning, your heart has been for the nations to bring them to yourself, to bring about salvation, and that in heaven at the end, there will be people from every nation and people and tribe and language. Thank you that for all of us who trust in Christ, that we will be there, that you have been the one who has cleansed us of our sin, taken away our shame, given us forgiveness and salvation. So Father, you have blessed us so much, but may that blessing not terminate on ourselves, but would we be now a blessing to those that you place in our lives? Would you raise some of us up to go? Would you put in our hearts a great desire to go out with your gospel to the unreached in our world and to share the hope of the gospel with them? And for the rest of us, Father, would you raise us up to be senders, to be generous with our time, with our money, with our prayer, to support and partner with those who go. And would you help us to be great welcomers as, we, as the nations are coming to us? Would we be able to connect with people from all over the world? Would we be able to share our lives and our hope in the gospel with them? We pray all this in Jesus' name.